Well, it was 40 years ago this past Valentine's Day. My mom and dad were on a walk uh, on the corridor of the Chattahoochee River enjoying um, each other's company, and my dad actually picked my mom up and placed her on a branch just over the Chattahoochee waters. And in that moment, my dad began to make some promises to talk about their future together, what it would look like for them to one day start a family, and then my dad proposed. He asked her to marry him. And thankfully she said yes, because growing up, my dad always told my two brothers and I that if she said no, she was getting pushed in the Chattahoochee. (laughs) But that day, a promise was made. And then exactly six months later, on August 14th, 1982, that promise was kept. And they were married in front of their friends and their family, and they celebrated like crazy, and then on to their life that they lived. And for 35 plus years until my dad passed away, that promise was fulfilled. A promise made, a promise kept, and a promise fulfilled. So why do I start there this morning? Is I think that if we're honest with each other spiritually, that it feels like sometimes in our relationship with God that he's left us on the branch over the Chattahoochee. That we read this book that's full of promises and full of truth, But if we're being honest, God, I don't know about this whole like promise kept business and certainly not promise fulfilled. Like, Lord, that's not my reality. Like, I don't know if I feel that. Like, I feel like I'm either sitting on the branch of the Chattahoochee or you pushed me in because I feel like I've been duped. Or, Or maybe you're in the room today and you're like, honestly, Cole, I don't think that I've ever gone on a walk with God at all. Like, I'm not the kind of person that God would make a promise to. Like, there's a little bit too much baggage in my, in my trunk that God would even be interested in a relationship, like interested in making a promise or keeping it and fulfilling it. And so that's where we are today, a promise made, a promise kept, and a promise fulfilled. And so if I was to title this morning's message, it would simply be The Promise Fulfilled. And the text that we're gonna be reading through today that I'm praying that we would sit under, allow for the weight of God's word to press into our lives um, is Acts chapter 13, verses 15 through 52. So if you wanna go ahead and grab your Bibles, um, we'll be there today. Um, And like I said, I hope that you'll see time and time again that there's gonna be a a promise that was made, a promise that was kept, and a promise that was fulfilled. But before we go any further, um, as always, I would love for us to pray and ask for God's spirit to speak through his word to, it, to your heart today. So would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we thank you for a chance to gather with family, to discuss and to learn from your word today. So I thank you for every woman and every man within the sound of my voice, that you know their names, you know their hearts, you know their heartaches, God, you know their stories. And so Father, would you um, be with us in this moment and speak to us through your word? And if you would, would you pray for me and just pray that I would be helpful to you in that task? And so, Father, we love you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so Sellers walked us through that we've been in the book of Acts for you know, a good chunk of time. So, so here's what's happening. Just to catch you up, um, your Bible that you have has 66 books in it. 
It is divided um, by the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament has 27 books in it. There are four gospels or biographies of Jesus. There's one book of history. Then there's 21 letters and then one book of prophecy, which is the book of Revelation. So four, one, 21, one. Today, we find ourselves in that one book of history, which is the book of Acts. Um, As we've been going through it, we've been learning that the church has been birthed. The Holy Spirit has been given to God's people. And now as the kingdom of God invades the rest of planet Earth, we're seeing three predominant themes throughout the book of Acts. We're seeing that as the word is proclaimed, it's not just proclaimed in word, but also in deed, that like things are changing in the places that the gospel goes. The second thing is that Christians are beginning to form diverse ethnic communities where everyone is equal. It's amazing. And then lastly, we're seeing a group of people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit and who are living led by that Holy Spirit. And so it's here in chapter 13 that we find that Paul comes up to a synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia on Sabbath Saturday, and he sits down and he listens to the teaching. Can you see him sitting in a room? Not, not doesn't look like this, but think about heading to the Sabbath on Saturday, sitting in a room, hearing the law and the prophets spoken of, which is the Old Testament. And then the head rabbi says, hey, Saul, do you have a word of encouragement for the people today? And so Paul stands, and it's where we pick our scripture up today in verse 16. And Paul says this to the people. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. They, they then asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, from whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. You see, God made a promise to the nation of Israel all the way back in the book of Genesis. So Genesis 3.15, we're gonna get fancy for two seconds. You can do this. You went through math calculus. It's called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. And it's in Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelion, that God says, Eve, from you, there's gonna come a one who's gonna stomp the head of the serpent. He will conquer death once and forever. And so we have this picture of the Proto-Evangelion in our head. And then God gets to Genesis 12, which honestly, I think it's the most important chapter in the Old Testament. If you can't read Genesis 12, you won't understand the rest of of the Old Testament. And he says in Genesis 12, Abram, the nation of eventually Israel, I promise you a land, a people, and a worldwide blessing that from your seed, there is coming one who will conquer death. This is the promise. But did you notice as we read through this first section, these 10 verses, who, uh, how the story moves forward, how the promise continues? It says, God chose, God made, he led, he put up, he gave, he gave, God gave, he raised, he testified, God has brought as he promised. 
that the promise of God throughout the story of scripture has been that God is the driver. That this, did you notice how God saturated this text is? That for every subject and verb in those 10 verses, God is the subject and God is the verb. That he is moving us through the course of history through his loyal love. It's a Hebrew word named hesed. That his loyal, faithful love is driving God's people through this story. And then in verse 23, he says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. A promise made. So I understand that most of you are not ethnically Jewish in the room today. So I wanna, I wanna kind of help us think through this in a different way. Um, so growing up here in Kennesaw, there's, um, I lived in this neighborhood that had a big creek at the bottom of it. And um, I had my, my best friend in the first grade, his name was Nick. His house sat up on the hill and then his backyard was a straight drop down to the creek. And so his dad, knowing what a first grader would love, tied a huge nylon rope to this tree that perfectly went over the overhang. And did Nick and I have a good time? We would, I mean, we would run as fast as we could and put the full weight of our first grade bodies on this rope and on this tree and swing out and come back and swing out and come back. And friends, in the same way, the promise of God is what the nation of Israel is gripping and holding onto as they swing out into human history and back and swing out into human history and back. And ultimately, friends, catch this. You and I will swing out into God's best for our lives when we cling to the promise of God. And there will come a day that we will swing out into eternity, not on our own works or doing, but we will swing out into eternity clinging to the promise of God. You see, when Nick's dad put that rope up on the tree, the rope is only as good as the thing it's attached to. And in the same way that someone's word is only as good as the word that it's attached to. And friends, we cling to the word of God because his word, like God is so good at keeping his word. He's so good at it. I mean, like, over and over again, he's providing a sketch of the Old Testament saying, look what I've done here, look what I've done there, look, 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 cling to me. And Paul is setting the scene that, that God's most recent promise, that God's final and fulfilled promise is coming if only we would grip and hold on. So point number one for you today for our promise that has been made, why should we cling to God? It's because God is faithful. I know this is simple. God's so simple. But God is faithful. That he has proven himself time and time again, thousands of years of human history, and God has always come through. And so we can cling today. And I love, this is a slight tangent, but like, man, that we have a role to play. That like, Nick and I had to grab onto that rope to have a good time. Because if we let go of the rope, Trouble. Like broken bones, like going to see the orthopedic surgeon, like it's gonna be a problem. In the same way, y'all, we are invited to grip onto his promises, that we have a role to play, not a role to earn, that we hold on dearly. But I'm gonna be honest, as I was like thinking through this message, talking about the promise of God, not getting left on the branch over the Chattahoochee, that he's made promises to us, um, can we just have like an honest, like cold North Star conversation? Because um, this like really bothered me. So I, 
It's like, God has not promised that life will be fair. He hasn't promised that life is going to be easy. And honestly, friends, he hasn't promised that it's gonna be comfortable or convenient either. Um, Because I just look out in this room right now um, and I know the amount of pain that sits in this room. Um, And God has not promised that your life wasn't gonna be void of pain either. But what God has promised is this, that he would be with you and that he would be enough. That's what he's promised. So for those of you in the room today who are like walking through um, a cancer diagnosis, the good news today is that God is enough. Or maybe you're in the room and um, you and your family are struggling with infertility. Or maybe you've just had a miscarriage. Like, Like God is enough. It's the promise that we grip and hold on to. Or maybe you're dealing with the death um, of a loved one and the trauma from that. Like God's enough today. That is our hope and that is what we cling to. So don't buy, because there's just way too much evil and brokenness in the world for us to believe that the world's fair. Like we don't believe in karma. Like karma don't work because there's a lot of really, really bad things that happen to wonderful people. And then there's also some really great things that happen to horrible people. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't believe in karma. But we do believe that God has promised that he will be with us and that he will be enough. And there'll come a day when he fulfills his promise that all things will be made right. So if I was to encourage you with one thing from this first point this morning, is take courage. Like, take courage and cling on to him because he is enough. So let's keep moving together in our text. Verse 26, Paul jumps into the second segment of his sermon, which is um, noted by his repetition of brothers and uh, those of you who fear God. He says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those of you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those of you who live in Jerusalem, and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, being Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, which were read earlier this morning in Paul's context, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, that was the cross, and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who could come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that that what God, catch it, promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Man, just in that little section of scripture, Paul lays out the gospel. He lays out the good news. And so we can talk, we've talked about the gospel a lot at church because it is our hope, it is our cling. Um, And so today I actually want to sum up all those verses in 10 words, 10 words, okay? This is the gospel in 10 words, ready? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins 
and rose from the dead. Can y'all actually, can y'all say this with me? Can we, can we do this? Can we, can you, 10 words, gospel in 10 words. Maybe you're like, I've never heard the gospel before in the world. This is it. All right, ready? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Wonderful. This is the good news. This is our hope. This is our cling. But maybe you're like, I'll be honest with you, Cole. I'm really glad you said it in 10 words. Still don't care. Um, so let's think about it this way. You are hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. They're about to take the car. The house is about to be foreclosed on. They're coming for you. So you go to the bank to make one final plea, maybe sign some documents. The banker says, I've got some good news for you today. Someone has come in and said they're gonna pay all of your debt. All of it. Like clean slate. You're out of the red. Your debt is paid for. It's the cross. That Jesus didn't just die for you. Jesus died instead of you. That he lived a perfect life, thus he had no sin to pay for. But then on the cross, he, he took on all of your debt, all of your sin, and said, it's finished. But here's the part of the gospel that we almost always miss, is that the gospel does not just grant us innocence. The gospel grants us righteousness. That not only did that man come in and say, yo, 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 your debt is paid for. He now says, you've got access to the family bank accounts. Here's the family debit and credit card, whether or not you like credit cards. Like, like you get all access to the family, that you were not just granted innocence at the cross, you were granted, res you're granted righteousness with the resurrection. That not only do you have a clean slate, friends, but you won the stinking lottery. This is the gospel message. Because think about it, if all Jesus did was give us a clean slate, we'd screw it up tomorrow. And then think about if you didn't screw it up tomorrow, but then you accumulated a great amount of wealth. Man, I did pretty good. I got out of debt and then I climbed my way to the top. And that's why Ephesians 2, 8 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. It is through Christ and Christ alone that we have been ransomed and saved. So friends, this morning, innocence is on the table for you. And so is righteousness. So point number two for today, if you're taking notes on our outline is simply this, that Jesus saves. Gosh, that it's in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ that the promise made to the fathers has been kept in Christ. The promise has been kept. And I love, let's look together in verse 38. He says, let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him, everyone who believes is freed. And everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. As I was reading through this text in preparation this week, I could not get over that Paul used the word freed. And it just it kind of got my, my brain spinning on, um, if I'm not freed, then I'm enslaved or, or I'm held back. Um, and so it had me kind of begin to investigate in my own heart, like, man, what am I enslaved to? 
And so I would even invite you now in this moment, would, would you just consider, what are you enslaved to this morning? What's holding you back from God's best in your life this morning? And then, I like this question a lot more. What would it be like to be free? What would your life look like if you were free? Free from that habit, free from that hang up, free from that baggage, free from that shame, free from that guilt. What would it be like to be free? It's on the table today because I believe there's power in the word and there's power in the gospel for you to be freed for whoever would believe through this man for the forgiveness of sins. And, and I love that he even says, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now the law of Moses was great for the time in which it existed, it was needed, but he's like, yo, this isn't gonna do the job. And if we're being so honest, like, like how many times have I attempted to free myself from the bondage of sin and death by the world's remedies? That, oh, like, yeah, if I can just get to this place financially, then I'll be okay. Or like, if I can just look like this, if I can just get the stinking scale to say this number, then I'll be okay. Like if, if there can just be enough time between the thing and now, like, you know what I'm talking about? It's like the thing that happens. And it's like, if I can just distance myself enough away, I'll be okay. And the reality is these remedies do not work. Here, here's the thing. And this is a fill in the blank as well for those of you who like notes. Is that your willpower is no match for sin's power. But sin's power bows, it bows, it gets on its knees to God's power. That your attempts to, to, to try harder and to do better, y'all, they're no match for the flesh, sin, and death. They're no match. But sin's power, the flesh, sin, and death, it bows to God's power. Why? because there was a man named Jesus who lived in ancient Israel, who lived a perfect sinless life, died a death on a tree, but rose up again victorious, conquering all of the sin and death in your life. And if we would just only tap into that power source, if we would cling onto that promise, we would be free. So closing it up today, Paul closes his sermon. And honestly, not in a way that I was primarily expecting. So fair warning here. His first words after, beware, therefore, lest what is said of the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. That Paul ends with a warning. This is, a, this is a, a quotation from the book of Habakkuk. And he's basically saying, yo, 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 God's gonna do something in your days that even if you saw it, you wouldn't believe it. And he's saying, please, like, like people in this synagogue today, like people of North Star Church today, like, like don't miss it. Like God is doing something in your midst. Like it's being proclaimed to you as you sit. Don't miss it. 
that Jesus, that God the Father, the Holy Spirit before the ages of time, they made a promise to redeem all things, to reconcile all things back together. And that promise was kept at the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that that promise can be fulfilled if we would walk with him, if we would believe him, if we would trust him, we would be saved. So as you can expect, the rest of chapter 13, we see that Paul gets a pretty mixed reaction to his sermon. And I imagine maybe even a little bit of what's happening in the room right now. Um, That some of the Jews were like, don't buy it, not interested, not for me. But then it says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, catch this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And so as we close today, I hope you hear it, that we're invited that this story that God has been crafting together since the beginning of time, that it's not just the Jews' story, it's not just the the religious perfect story, it is the story of human history that we're invited into. And I'm praying and believing that maybe there are even some today who've been appointed to eternal life and that they would trust. So what do we do with this? So what, Cole? What, like, like now what? What's the deal? Is that if you find yourself in the room today and you're like, Cole, I do not know Jesus Christ. Like I've, I've never experienced the promise of God. Here's what this scripture, not me, what this scripture is calling you to do. It is calling you to turn from your sin, to turn from your life, from a life in which your God You're gonna turn from it and trust in Jesus. That we're gonna turn from our habits, turn from our hangups, turn from a life of sin, and we're gonna trust in Jesus Christ. We trust him, we believe in what he's done. Or or maybe you're a follower of Jesus in the room today and our call is to do the same. Where in my heart, O oh Lord, is their sin and their brokenness? Lord, I want to turn from my sin and I wanna trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, back in the old day, we used to call this repent and believe. We wanna turn from our sin and we wanna trust in Jesus Christ. And friends, the point of Paul's sermon is verse 38. So I'm gonna read it again. Let it be known to you, North Star that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by everyone, by everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Friends, the cross still has power today. The resurrection still has implications on your life. And so today, would you cling to the fact God made a promise. Oh, and he's good at his word. He's good at it. 
And he kept that promise on the cross and on the resurrection. And as we walk towards eternity, clinging to the promise of God, we know that there's coming a day that his promise will be ultimately fulfilled. That all evil, all death, all sin will be turned on its head. I long for that day. I long for it. And the way that we get to taste it, the way we get to see it, is we turn and we trust. We turn and we trust. So as we sing this next song, do some heart work and turn and trust in the promise of God. Can I pray for you? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you keep your word. Thank you that we don't have to guess whether or not you meant it or not. And Lord, thank you that we don't have to be enslaved anymore and we can be free. So Lord, I pray that you would grant courage to every woman and every man in this room to turn from their sin and to trust in the all-sufficient Christ. Thank you for your promise. We pray this in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.